Welcome to episode 9 of Probably Polly. I am your host, Michael Haig. I work, speak, create art, write, and research about sexual ethics in general and polyamorous ethics in specific. I'm especially excited that it's our ninth episode because 9 is my favorite number. Uh, I know I'm supposed to wait till 10 to get excited, but I'm, not, I'm just going to go with 9 and move on. <laughs> and I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. I am doing an academic study on conceptual non-monogamy and child rearing, and I am a practicing polyamorous for about a year and a half. And I'm Mandy Conant, director of Atlanta Poly Weekend. I have been practicing polyamory for, uh, I think, 17 years <laughs> and I, I forgot to say, but I've been practicing polyamory for 10 years. It, we're we're going to have to have, like, uh, relationship start dates, like, effective start dates, because when do I update to 10 years? Or 11 years? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been saying 10 <laughs> years for, like, the whole time I've been doing this podcast. I think I'm just going to use, like, the anniversary of my longest-lasting relationship and just just claim 11 years at that point. It's not quite accurate, because I definitely did not start being poly at the same time I started that relationship, but... It's close enough. It's a good proxy. <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, I don't know that we we have like a definite. I am Polly as of this date. <laughs> oh, oh, no, but, no. That's why. I, that's why I always say probably in there. But yeah. I do because well, that and I like I engaged into a relationship that was polyamorous. Like I entered into a relationship, and there's a mm-hmm. definite start. Like this right. is when I became Polly. Sure. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you met someone who was Polly, and you're like, I'm gonna date you and be Polly. Yep. Therefore, and it's just like a hard yep, line. Pretty much. Sure. All right, so as we teased last time, this is our first listener question Yay! that's been written in. Woohoo! And <laughs> so we're going to read that question here in a minute, and we're going to attempt to answer it and then cover the more expansive issues that it raises. The listener who posted this question, uh, we weren't able to get in contact with her before we started recording this episode to get her permission to name her, but I'm just going to go ahead and read the comment. It's not necessarily a specific question, it's more like a topic suggestion. She says, pros and cons and complications of sharing, quote, poly, relationship status limitations, and or specific relationship situation, i.e. my profile pic is always just me as it is my profile, however, one boyfriend gets sad, it's never a couple pick. I don't want to invalidate his position in my life, but also don't want to hurt or dismiss other loves in my life either. And then she says, love the podcast and look forward to hearing more. You know, we talked about scripts last time, romantic right. scripts. And this is about the way that our romantic scripts teach us to signal loving relationships and relationship success in mm-hmm. our culture. Because this is obviously not about the two people involved. It's literally about sharing with other people. Right. Right. Way. So it's about the larger community, and specifically a community that doesn't necessarily understand polyamorous or non-monogamous norms. Yes. Because most people in a monogamous group are not going to be confused why if you have two or three or four significant others or more that you're not sharing a couple's pick as your standard profile picture. Right. And, you know, Facebook does not recognize multiple relationships, multiple partnerships. Right. Yeah, and really weirdly, they have a in an open relationship status button, but you can only fill it in once. Yeah. You can connect to one partner and say, I'm in an open relationship with this one partner, but you can't connect to <laughs> others as well. Just one. Right. You can have one romantic relationship that's open. Right. Open relationship, it. yeah. <laughs> right. That's almost more like sort of the more mainstream monogamous hall pass relationship mm-hmm. or like <laughs> open core relationship kind of idea yes. where you only have one real relationship, but you see other people. So right. it's almost structured like open to hookups, but, you know, married to this person. Right, absolutely. 
Now, I do know, though, that you can say in an open relationship and not specify someone. Yes. That you can choose not to link or type into the profile. I've forgotten about that. Although, even then, it's singular, which is weird. It doesn't say, you know, engaged in open relationships. It just says in an open relationship, I guess, with yourself at that point. (laughs) And that was actually my first thought, is that that's really what we should all be using, is the in an open relationship without singling someone, even those of us who only have, like, say, one partner. Partly because of the problem for those of us who have more than one partner. Yeah. But we'll we'll circle back to that. Yeah, I started deconstructing my thoughts about this for one of my partners and her first response is, are you sure that's what this person's boyfriend is thinking? And I wanted to be very clear that when we're answering questions, you know, unless you wrote me a seven page document about your life, <laughs> and even then we would still do this, we're answering them again, just like statistics for sort of our average audience. Mm-hmm. And I always am going to start from theory and work backwards towards specific instance application. So my first thought is, why do couples picks and linked profiles exist in the first place? Because even before I was non-monogamous, I hated people that put anything besides themselves in their profile Uh, picture. (laughs) I love those uh, combined Facebook accounts. They're so delightful. Yes. (laughs) From my perspective, the idea of the Facebook picture, because you can have a whole ton of pictures, right? The idea of the the first picture is so that when you pop up in my message feed or news feed, I know who's writing. Mm -hmm. Ironically, one of the ones that I hate the most is actually when you put, like, your child there. Like, I had some friends who were, like, 36 putting their, like, 7-year-old, and suddenly there's a 7-year-old commenting on my news feed, and I'm really (laughs) upset, and I'm worried, and I'm trying to figure out how I connected to a 7-year-old, and it turns out my friends just decided they wanted to use their children's picture. I don't know what the motivation for that is at all. I'm going to be honest. I think it's funny when someone Uh, who is my friend, who I, I have people who have done the same thing. So I talk about sexual topics on my Facebook, on my personal Facebook, not my Sarah Lucas Facebook, although I do it there, too. (laughs) Hopefully more than <laughs> Yes. And every now and then I have someone who has a, a picture like that, and then they comment something dirty on something I've posted, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. It's just wrong. It's <laughs> just Your three-year-old wrong. just said that to me. Oh, boy. Right, yeah. I realize as I look back that part of the reason that when I started you know, reading about polyamory and monogamy, I was so interested in it, is that it held a lot of the beliefs I already had sort of figured out about my problems with the way that relationships were represented. And I always hated group Facebook photos because in my experience, and this isn't forever, I mean, this isn't everyone, but my experience is the vast majority of couples that I had experienced when I was younger who were using shared pics, especially like if they both had the same shared pic for their per- self, were not healthy couples. They were very jealous. They were very worried about each other they were really I mean they were they were either that or they were like the epitome of normative behavior mm-hmm. it's not bad if you like things that the norm mm-hmm. likes that's not what I'm saying but if you're doing everything in the normative way it means you're actually trying there's no way you're just 100% normative by accident good point makes sense I was always really confused by that partly because it did seem like a non-trust sort of thing like this way everyone will know for sure that you have a partner on Facebook and there'll be no way to hide it should you go out somewhere and date someone and get on their social media they'll know immediately (laughs) you're my partner I update my profile picture I would say on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and I kind of update it as to what I'm feeling at the mm-hmm. time or who I'm feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. Like right now, my profile pic is of me and one of my partners that has had a loss recently. So my heart is very much with him right now. When I changed it 
it's just kind of an acknowledgement to him. Mm -hmm. It's not something that he expected or that one of my other partners are going to get jealous about. And they all know why, why I did what I did. And sometimes if I'm really feeling Ryan, I'll put a a picture of he Mm -hmm. and I up there, you know, like if it's his birthday or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. This may sound really self-centered, but I don't ever really take into account other partners when I change my profile picture. It's more of a personal um, thing Because it is my profile. If any partner was telling me how to run my profile one way or the other. Right. Unless it was to ask me not to post their photo. Right. I would automatically take that as a, a warning sign and an issue. Absolutely. So that your partner is saying he feels unloved because you won't do a gesture about your own personal life representation and maintenance is is problematic and we'll come back to that but yeah i think that's fine i mean if you like to share group photos and just for yourself and you don't think about what anyone else is doing that's fine that's like my mo in life is i just do what i want to do and i don't really think about what (laughs) anybody else it's a good mo I was really excited that you did change like a group photo coming into this because we hadn't really talked a lot about what the episode would be about but i knew immediately i was gonna be like i hate group photos (laughs) and i didn't know what anyone else was gonna do and then one of us has a group photo and i was like good somebody doesn't just automatically hate group photos so we're gonna have some balance to this podcast that's gonna be good but when i hear you talking about your group photo i hear the the way that you're using it and how often you change it and what you're doing it honestly sounds a lot more like when people update their photo for activism like when someone puts a rainbow across their photo or an Mm -hmm. equal sign across their photo or like another political banner across their photo i would equate it to that yeah yeah and, and the way that you're doing it is a form of signaling to specific audiences right so you changed your photo to signal something for this specific person to get their attention But also you have the kind of relationship where you know that you either have in the past or you've already worked through this ground with your other partners. Yes. And they know that it's not about excluding them or taking this other person over them. And it's also that sounds so temporary. That's one of the things that I would be curious about in the case of this listener question is, would they be happy, would your partner be happy if you would do it on special occasions, like on their birthday for a day, Mm -hmm. on your anniversary for a week or something? Right. Would that be enough for them? Or are they wanting the kind of signaling behaviors that you would normally be free to get, so to speak, in a mononormative relationship because there just wouldn't be anybody else to even think about and because that level of objectification where I'm allowed to reach into your profile and tell you how you're supposed to relate it to me is considered acceptable, normal, even romantic. Mm Right. Interestingly, I read an article earlier today that did an academic study on romance in social media and how social media affects romance. And it was talking about how selfies and profile pictures, how specifically selfies affect the romantic relationships, whatever they are. It should. There's evidence that those who very much like to take a lot of selfies and update their selfies have narcissistic behaviors somehow but also that there's this underlying which i completely like, disagree with i do ahead. too i felt a little like i mean i change my profile picture frequently as well and they're always wait selfies. hold on i wonder how much they mean by often because you have to take into account True. that when the study says something like often it's based on the normal amount which is something that the study would know more about than we True. do i went on a trip through europe with a school group and there was one woman on our bus who at least three hours a day was taking selfies. Wow. I kid you not, three 
hours a day wow. That's crazy. was taking selfies. And she would take dozens of them before she'd post a single one. <laughs> right? I mean, she'd just be in the back of the bus the entire time, holding the camera up to her face, changing her angle face one degree, taking another shot, taking it one degree, taking another shot, wow. looking at 40 photos. So if that's the high bar, and that's the kind of people they're talking about, then I, I totally am on board. Okay, I see. But if by high, they just mean like changing it once a week or when you feel like it or when you get new photos, then I'm not on board. So I don't know where that marker is. And they didn't quantify. Like they didn't specify yeah. like this is right. what is normal and this is what is abnormal, which I now I wish they would have. But it was interesting that what they were saying is basically profile pictures, they show this perfect you and that's that's just like the woman you were talking about like took a dozen pictures and picked one and that's kind of the mm-hmm. way that we all mm-hmm. take a selfie i mean I, that's the kind of the way i take take a selfie every now and then i get a golden one in one shot but most <laughs> of the time i'm like okay there are 30 pictures i took i picked one there's this idea that that can bring on some some cheating mentality in a way because it's like you're uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it you see yourself more attractively than you yeah, really you are. see others that way too so i mean you've got this relationship with someone and it's very raw and real and you see the way they brush their teeth or pick their nose or whatever but then you see all these oh things. i see other profiles look more exciting exactly. i see what uh-huh. you're saying so like you see your your partner as they actually are every day and then you see these beautiful people that only have beautiful selfies that are on amazing beaches and taking world trips precisely and- Exactly. And then vice versa, too. They see you with your awesome profile, and sometimes that encourages them to reach out to you because they're thinking the same thing. Yeah. This person's so exciting. So exciting, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's some really horrible stuff around. Like, you should just... I, I just, anybody's profile that's manicured enough that it makes me jealous, I just stop looking at it. I, I tell it to, to hide it. I'm talking about, like, friends and stuff. Like, I have friends that are doing certain things, like, in the art world, you know, and they'll be, like, uh, post, and they have all these hashtags, like, art this and mm-hmm. art life and art that. And it makes me, I wake up and I get jealous, but it's not really, like, this is where I want to put my energy, but I get jealous because I see it and it seems so effortless. But I also know them well enough to know their life's not actually that great. Right. But when I when I read the profile, it seems like they're just smashing every boundary and mm-hmm. shooting to the stars and I should be able to do that too and so I'm like well if you're gonna make a profile that's gonna be that unrealistic I'm just gonna hide you that's not good for my calm <laughs> yeah you know it's interesting that you say that I without knowing it until this moment kind of do the same thing they just feel so so phony to me it's like who are you kidding your life is not like that why are you trying to display this perfection I, we all know better all right so let's try and get back to the core question since we've gotten some of the groundwork around it My concern is where did the behavior come from and what are people getting out of it? And I I mean that both for the theory question of why this is happening, but also as a good question to ask your partner. See if maybe you can meet that need a different way. Mm -hmm. If your partner's concern is he doesn't feel that they are known to your family or are special or represented as being important, ask them if you could throw a dinner party for your family and friends with hosting with them or something like that, right? Like, so that's one of the questions we always ask in in non-monogamy if you're feeling jealous or upset about not getting something that you might be used to getting or think you should get from your history of monogamous relationships is what is the need that's actually failing to be met there? Mm -hmm. Because I have a hard time imagining that they have some sort of, he has a deep-seated need to see a two-person picture. Like, that'd be a really confusing, specific kind of kink to me. Um, Not that it can't (laughs) exist, but that that he needs to see a Facebook specifically co-picture of you and there's no larger need he's trying to meet. Now I would say that 
people use Facebook for validation of relationships. Agreed. That's the whole, like, you know, it's not real unless you change your relationship status on Facebook. Yeah. So maybe he feels like he needs that validation, that public validation, that the, the mononormative public validation. Like my suggestion would be if the listener wants to make her profile picture herself, but maybe post about him. Posts show up in feeds and that's validation as well. Post about how much fun you had on your date and post a picture. It maybe doesn't have to be the profile picture, but at least you're sharing a picture with them and they may feel that validation that way. Well, that's what I'm saying is find the thing that they're actually looking for. Right. I mean, you should be able to just post a picture of the two of you together with maybe even a writing about them or whatever. That's not your profile picture, but that'll show up in everyone's feed. Especially if you tag a bunch of people in it. Like, if you tag them and yourself, it'll really show up in a lot of your right. close friends' feeds. But And if the answer is that simple, that's definitely great. I'm taking as a sort of assumption that for some reason it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I assume the listener hasn't tried that. And maybe they have, but I feel like if I say that and I'm like, nah, I'm good, <laughs> then I'm being unfair to, to potentially to their uh, you know, attempts to work through this so far. I am curious what the couple pick represents inside of that person's cultural experience. I have 100% never been part of and never had a couple pick on any social feed of any type in my entire life. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I don't feel like it has inhibited my family's ability from recognizing who are my relationships. I don't feel like it's made my relationships less legitimate. I would really be curious if a partner was this dead set on this, like that actually upsets them, to try and understand what's so special about that particular method of signaling importance to them. And like you said, if it's just public play, can I just, you know, write a post? Yeah. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's scripts, Mm -hmm. which is, I think that they have been told something like someone who really cares about you will make make their profile pick the two of you. Which is kind of what Maddie said earlier. It's not valid in the world of social media in the modern normative culture unless it's posted somewhere in social media well no it's importantly distinct because mandy's then went on to suggest that you could take a photo and talk about the partner as the a way to do that and i'm saying that they actually have a script that says if it's not actually the couple photo right and and maybe her partner doesn't feel like that's validation enough you know maybe Mm -hmm. the couple's picture is more validation and that's what her partner's looking for the couple's pick validation the in a relationship with validation as opposed to just being a post on their wall right mm-hmm. because you know, like i said you know that's 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 the mononormative script is that right. if it's not real unless you change your status on facebook mm-hmm. you know it's bullshit but right and that's that's what i would say <laughs> yeah but i would say you're not going to successfully be polyamorous or monogamous if you're not willing to challenge the toxic part of your monogamous scripts mm-hmm. Your mononormative, heteronormative, and patriarchal scripts, you have to challenge them or you cannot succeed in these kinds of relationships. And to take that just a little further, I would say in order to succeed just in many aspects of your life, you would have to challenge normativity because normal is, it's not real. There is no such thing as normal, you know? It's relative for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's that too. Every single person is unique. You're never going to have a relationship like the relationships you've got right now because you're constantly changing and so are they. So I agree that you got to challenge those mononormative scripts in order to feel success in these relationships because they won't bring you what you're, I, I, 
can assume that they will not bring you exactly what you're looking for because you are unique and so is your situation. Not only the scripts, I think, but the mononormative language, mm -hmm. which I think this is almost bleeding into alternate types of language. So we talk about modern language being meme culture. We talk about emojis. Mm -hmm. We talk about the sentences like it me, you know, so someone will have a very long, long post or statement or meme and then someone's responsible to be it me, I-T space M-E. And it just means like, oh, this is exactly who I am. It's everything about who me. I love this post is what that stands for. Same. Right? It's a whole language. Like, I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at Sarah. She looks super confused because she doesn't know that language, right? But it's a <laughs> linguistic term from this from this cultural group, and it's not one of my age group for sure, but it's one that I've you know studied. And in that context, it may be that a couple pick or a linked relationship status on Facebook for this person and the groups that he came up in is part of the language of relationships. Right. But I'm even suspicious of the language of relationships. Ironically, when my partner who is my nesting partner and a long-term romantic partner and the parent of my child... I was just fixing to say your baby mama. <laughs> <laughs> ...listened to my interview with my mother. She was distraught that I listed her as my primary partner because she felt like that was hierarchical, like it signaled elements that are just not structurally part of the kind of non-monogamy that we practice. And when I had said it, I meant it in a literal sort of numbers game version of, of the, the term, the way that I would say something like if I had three business partners and one of them was like a 40% owner and one of them was a 5% owner and I said my primary partner and I meant my 40% owner. Mm -hmm. Like, it just she just by just by sheer numbers, she was around the most <laughs> of all the partners that I had at that time. She's been around the longest. She shares the most of my life, etc. She's your primary time partner. <laughs> yeah. And I was also talking to my mother, who of course comes from many more monogamous scripts, as you you know if you listen to those interviews <laughs> and so it was easier to relate it to her as primary partner that's a thing that my mother can understand so i was adjusting my language for that context because that that interview was very much just me and her having an honest dialogue i was not thinking very much about the podcast i was recording it for the podcast but i was interviewing her for me you know then to have that sort of the question like, oh man, are you even using the right language for that? And you're going, oh man. But then, you know, I've had I've questioned with partners before, what does dating mean? I've had partners say, I'm not sure I want to date, say I want to date, I don't want to use the words date you. I don't want to use the word boyfriend. I don't want to use the words uh, relationship. I don't want to use the words, <laughs> right? Because all of those things are predefined by these normative scripts that we're hearing all the time, all the time, all the time. Right, there's expectations involved with those labels. And that's actually why I am very much anti-labels. I've been dating someone now for quite some time and about a while into the relationship he's like okay well what are we and we had this discussion and i was like eh, so here's the thing like i don't <laughs> want to define this at all i just like what it is and i feel like if we define it i know i personally will bring on these monogamous scripts these mononormative scripts that i don't want in my life and i don't want to feel this pressure for us to be something other than what we are which is beautiful and i love it this way so i am actually very anti labels because of that yeah but and the flip side you say labels i say words <laughs> at eventual point Same. like at a certain point when you're trying to tell someone who what you're doing not the person not the person you're with but somebody else okay but also somewhat the person you're with if they're like well where are we what are we doing next what about these types of things mm -hmm. 
you need a word to describe it eventually. Like, that was the whole problem. And it's, it's funny because I'm really stuck on it because I'm thinking about the, the way that I always say heteronormative, mononormative, and patriarchal as a triad every time I say that. And about four years ago when I was teaching ethics, I, I ran across this word that I was really excited about for like 20 minutes until I read more about it that was kyriarchy, where kyri just means sort of king. And it was supposed to be this word that was going to replace, theoretically, all of the other normative elements and patriarchal elements that you could say. It basically was the idea of the king making class. So like all of the layers out of, it was supposed to be out of um, intersectionality. So all the layers of oppression mixed together. So like the kyriarchy is the group of people who want to promote rich, white, heteronormative, cis-normative, you know, uh, non-disabled, college-educated, Midwestern accent having, you know, whatever layers of oppression you can think of that exist all together. And I was like, oh man, that will save so much time in my lectures, that's great. So I read a little bit longer because I was wondering if there was a word version of it that I could use. Because kyriarchy is like patriarchy, but I need to say something like patriarchal. So I was wondering if there was a word like kyriarchal or chironormative, you know. That doesn't even and sound like a I real word. That, <laughs> right. That, that uh, yeah, it turns out up, that the original word here was created by a, a Christian feminist. And not to be against Christians, but generally if a feminist identifies Christian before feminist in their writing, it's not going to go good places. <laughs> and in fact, you know, the question that basically people had pushed back and the reason that this word was never picked up in these circles and in feminist circles and critical race circles is exactly because what it did was it obscured the actual problem that a lot of the reason we say these words is to call the problem to the front of our minds right so if you guys don't know this there was people are always like why don't we call feminism humanism mm -hmm. right because if you ever look up feminism it doesn't say like for women's rights it says like the belief that all people are equal and deserve equal things right, and, right? Mm -hmm. so why is feminism called feminism and not humanism what well, turns out we had humanism and it was all run by rich, white, cis, heteronormative, non-disabled <laughs> people who kind of were mean to everybody else. And so when women were trying to rewrite this, they said, well, how can we get the focus to shift? They said, well, if we put something literally in the title that reminds you the focus isn't just white men, mm -hmm. people will at least have to ask the question, why, is, why are we calling what we think should be humanism feminism? And then they have to go and read about how humanism only helped white men. So feminism helps everybody, humanism helps white men. Mm -hmm. Well, kyriarchy has the same problem. Mm. If I say mononormative, heteronormative, and patriarchal, I'm calling out the three specific axes of oppression that non-monogamous relationships deal with. And if you are on one of those axes of oppression, if you are cis, if you are heteronormative, if you are a man or participating majorly in patriarchy intentionally, then you will feel uneasy when I say those words because you'll know how they apply to you. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you'll have to think about if they apply to you, hopefully, to make sure that you're not doing those things. And if I just say, well, as long as we're avoiding the kyriarchal problems, well, because that's everything, everyone's oppressed somehow. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you're part of those groups rather than being part of the oppression. And the problem is that most of us in some way contribute to that oppression. The term keeping it complex that we've brought before that I've that I borrowed from other feminist uh, dialogue. I didn't come up with that. I, I used, I heard it just a lot in the feminist speech, speeches. That's their point, right? That when you flatten things out, like, oh, humanism, ah, oh, relationship, ah, uh, 
partner, you know, mm-hmm. then you don't, you miss that nuance, that nuance gets lost. Mm-hmm. And so I really am back and forth on whether or not there should be simple ways to label partners or if I should have to describe for two minutes the relationship specific situation I have if I want to talk about my nesting slash romantic slash child rearing partner. Mm-hmm. Should I have to say those three things? Because those three things are, I think, are enough to give you a sense of how I relate to that partner Mm -hmm. in a way that primary partner even is not as successful at doing. Right. But sort of does. But it also does it in a way that's not even potentially sounding like hierarchical. I mean, you might think that that's going to create a hierarchy because I care a lot about my child and therefore the mother of my child. But I'm not saying she's first. I'm just saying uh, what's true, which is that she's the mother of my child. That and nobody knows what the hell hierarchical means. So don't use that word. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have to define the word and then... Every time you use it. But everybody knows what the triad is. That's how all these words are. I mean, that's how all these words were, right? I mean, True. 10, 15, 20 years ago, people were not talking about being cis-normative. True. I don't remember when cis was added, but I mean, it was relatively in the last 15 to 20 yes. years. Like, it wasn't even... I only right. heard about it when I had uh, befriended someone who was transgender, and that right. was less than a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that, I'm, I'm not going to say that's a good reason not to use a new word. That's how all new words get used, <laughs> and I True. love new language. But that is a flattening word. That is that is the humanism of Arkies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has all the same problems. It just hides uh, culpability. It doesn't call attention to the problems. To go back to topic. That was on topic. <laughs> 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 Well, you go first, and I'll explain how that was. It, on top. No, no, no. <laughs> I get no. I, I just I was trying to just change the trajectory here because I, I have another suggestion for the social media sure. validation. Go for it. There's also events that you can list mm-hmm. on your on your profile, mm-hmm. and Sarah and I were talking about this earlier that I do have both of my husbands listed, but I couldn't remember how I had them listed on Facebook, and I think that's what I did was I did a life event. There's bought a new house and married such mm-hmm. and such. And you can put as many married life events as you want. By the way, that's hilarious. You can't list being in relationships, but you can just... Well, I guess that makes sense because people get divorced and then get remarried and Facebook doesn't have a good way to check that out. Right. That's so funny. Sense. So that's... I, I believe that that's what I did. That makes sense. I don't have them listed for other partners, but I do post about other partners. Mm-hmm. Not because there's um, some type of hierarchy. Well, not everyone wants to be listed as married to you. I mean, that makes sense to me. <laughs> right. This, this guy's a new boyfriend. I don't think it, you know, the, or you go on a couple of dates or your, you know, your cuddle buddies or your flirtation ship doesn't want to be listed as married to you in order to be visible. <laughs> no, but you can, there's also other life events that you can put on there, I believe, like like started dating or things like that. I, th- I think that you can actually pretty much create whatever life event I don't think that's a bad option either. Uh, this uh, particular listener did not n- mention the the degree of seriousness, I guess we could call it, for this relationship. So that's not something that I feel like we could specifically talk about. But hopefully we're we're helping give her ideas and how, how to address this. Uh, one thing that I, I felt when preparing for this podcast, I thought, man, I wish I had an answer to this. Because I feel like there isn't one. There's not. There's not. No. There are lots of things that, that we could do to try and validate all of our relationships but there's nothing except I, I maybe a conversation with a person to help them truly understand this is you are important to me even if I don't display it on my social media in the way that you feel is it validates it well and I think Michael made a good point earlier is that finding out the reason that they need this validation is I think the the core 
that we'll find the answer to this. We need to know why he or she needs that validation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just seems very specific. This, this person actually didn't even say... She mentioned there's limited relationship statuses, but she just mentioned that sort of in passing in the in the main question where the main question was about the couple picture, which is oh, really yeah. interesting. Again, that's a weird one to me because it seems like a no-brainer that in a non-monogamous relationship, I'm not posting a couple picture. Like at best, right, I'm going to try and get everybody who's a partner at once into that picture if I'm if I'm even going to go that route. Look, and that is so difficult to do. <laughs> and, and I've that tried. The impossibility of everybody being okay with that being on board with that being able to deal with that there's actually an option for the pictures thing as well Uh where if you go onto your profile i don't know if you've looked at somebody's profile that there's there's like five pictures that they can pick that will show up just below like your name and status and all that crap and then there's like five or six main pictures that you can pick that show up there all the time yeah they're like uh spotlight pictures or something like that i've got six on mine and i actually have that's one of the things i've done is Mm -hmm. minor of maybe a selfie with me and one partner and a selfie with me and another partner and like maybe me and my kids but yeah and i have like five or six of those so you know it may not be a profile picture sure but it is something that stays on your profile Mm -hmm. you know if someone were to pull your profile up another thought i had about the profile picture is you could potentially do something like a collage do like a split picture that has a picture of you and one partner and you and another partner or whatever so that both of them feel like they're a part of your profile picture if that is something that you decide is is important to you to have a picture that represents your relationships mm-hmm. i'm focused on sort of the ethical flow chart like if this then that right <laughs> yeah so it you know my my thought is something like well if you ask them why this matters to them and they say i'm not feeling represented well enough then here are a bunch of good options that you have both the two of you have provided for doing that and say do any of these meet that need for you is there any combination of things on facebook and outside of facebook that i could do mm-hmm. that would signal well enough for you to feel these things that don't require me to change my profile picture this way right i'm also assuming of course since the user you know submitted a question about it that they do not want to change their profile pic because you know one of the other options that i had suggested early on also was mandy's approach of temporary changes change one day mm-hmm. change an hour change a week you know these sorts of things and if that works for them and maybe they hadn't thought about that cool but i am assuming that they're having the response that i have which is a hard intractable hell no yeah right? your that, profile your profile picture mm-hmm. right right that if anybody that I was dating was like, I don't feel like I'm dating you because I'm not on your profile picture, I'd be like, then we have a serious problem in the way we're communicating. <laughs> yes. Because you yeah. should know how important you are to me, and I have failed in a meaningful way to tell you, or you're dealing with some serious internalization of mononormative, heteronormative, and patriarchal norm- uh, norms that right. you are reading into me. I think that's your answer. I mean, it's she needs to sit down with them and find out what that missing key is, and to communicate that, hey, this is my profile, so I prefer it to be my profile picture, mm-hmm. and, and find out other ways that their partner could be more validated. Right. right. Like you said, on social media and off social media. <laughs> the answer is the same answer that is to every poly question ever asked and it's communication. Like, yep. Part of communication at least for me is the education part of what's going on and that's the the thing at the bottom of what I've been trying to get at for most of the episode which is why do I not think that it's a valid request 
that I have to share my Facebook profile picture with you. Why am I concerned that it's playing into a lot of these heteronormative, mononormative stereotypes? Why do I worry that there's objectification going on? I mean, really in the photo, right? The photo's a form especially as, as a requested form of proof, is a form of objectification, that sort of promising into the future. It's promising in front of witnesses, right? It's a form of mm-hmm. not marriage, sort of minor marriage, right? Like this promise in front of your Facebook community that this isn't a one-week fling, that this isn't a two-week fling, that you'll be held accountable to your friends if I disappear, if I was important enough to be on your Facebook profile. I don't necessarily think that that is the case across the board, I think it's this... That's why it's a flowchart. <laughs> That's why I said if you can just be like, fix it with this and it's good, then he's good. Right. But if he's like, no, and then you're like, all right, well, this is important to me. And he's like, no, then you're now in the third category. Right. Which is the category that I'm concerned about. We, we should make a flowchart. We should make a flowchart to attach to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I think that, you know, some some people, it's it's like the, you want your partner to talk to their friends about you. You want your partner to be proud that they're your partner. Mm-hmm. It's that type of validation as opposed to an objectification that you just, you just kind of want to be something that your partner's proud of. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, firstly, okay. I'm going to say... Here he goes. That if, <laughs> if you want to say that you have this need for your partner to display pride in you in a certain specific format, that is objectification. That their method of displaying pride for you isn't enough for you or isn't how you want them to display pride for you. Well, that's... And that goes back to, like, the find out if there are any other ways to validate that. But I'm just saying that that could be one of the reasons that their partner is maybe upset. Sure. Because there's not that pride in the relationship. Well, again, I'm trying to hit all of the options beginning to end. So I I see that you're really into the, the, the hopeful options. And I'm into those too. I hope those are the the issues. Mm-hmm. But there are these toxic monogamous structures underlying this practice generally oh, absolutely. that I think even hurt hurt monogamous people that need to be said explicitly, mentioned as problems, and brought up if the person is forcing the issue to explain why the listener may be uncomfortable doing that. Well, I think if the, if the partner's forcing the issue, that's, I mean, that's a problem, period. Well, I mean, I don't mean forcing like you're not, not allowed to talk about it, but I mean, you could even have forcing in a very positive way in a sense, right? Like boundary forcing. You know, I just don't feel like I'm in a relationship if they don't put me as your Facebook picture. And I'm sorry if that means that we can't be together, but I just don't feel heard or loved if you won't do it. Oh, that's that ridiculous. It would right? be an awful ultimatum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't oh well no but I mean, <laughs> but, I mean no, to some extent saying. everything eventually looks like an ultimatum as we've talked about True. before right like my need to not be told what I have to do with my Facebook photo for me is the boundary not an ultimatum but if you're like you know I'm gonna do that or even you know get on my computer and change my freaking photo we're not gonna be dating very long right. it's not an ultimatum it's just a thing that I need the freedom to be able to do mm-hmm. think about it if you want to like a, a true psychiatric conditioned kink definition is you need this to feel aroused mm-hmm. right so people say kink don't talk about the kink community or mm-hmm. things that do arouse you but there's also the you know the the, the psychological definition around literally need it to be aroused so if you have that kind of kink for something it might sound like an ultimatum to say well if you can't let me play with your feet i can't be with you but literally 
you might not be able to. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about. Like they're pushing the issue in the sense that like they just they don't know why they can't figure out what else you can do. It just it kills them that you won't do this. Then then this is the use of being able to explain where those scripts come from in their brain. Right. Because you can deconstruct these kind of scripts from inside of you if you can understand them, but you can't understand them, you know, if if I, you, they are not laid out for you in some format. And that's that's the ground that I'm trying to cover. And it's not to say that that's what's going on with this person, but also we're not doing this podcast for one person, we're doing it for everyone that has similar problems. Mm-hmm. And and even I hope for monogamous people who like relationship advice, because I know we talk about this as a poly podcast and a non-monogamous co- podcast, but I'm going to be honest, non-monogamy includes monogamy from my perspective. Non-monogamy is relationships that don't have a death sentence requirement to be monogamous, but it doesn't mean that you can't also be monogamous. Right? We talked about thoughtful monogamy before. Mm-hmm. And if I was monogamous, this this need to see me this way would bother me. Right. Right. This I need to be that. in my profile picture would bother me. And it would bother me because I know that it's coming out of these objectifying scripts, out of these descriptions of what it means to really be in love, what it you know, what it what it signals, how it's signaling. There's something very dark underlying the way that most people end up with this desire in an unconsidered state. Right. This person might have the best possible reason for this very considered desire. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's important to me to go over the other options so that people who are dealing with people who haven't really thought about it can say, do you see how this is objectifying? What do you think you're getting out of it? And really probe those questions because that will help you find if they're just doing it on autopilot, if they're doing it because they actually, at a subconscious level primarily, I think most, in a sense, wrong wrong behavior or damaging antisocial action happens at a subconscious level. They have bought into these scripts in some way. Or there's some, like, I mean, you know, they could have some really specific trauma around it. Like, I was dating someone that said they are polyamorous, they refused to do any of these things, and I eventually found out that I was just the person on the side they were cheating with, and no one ever knew about me. Right. (laughs) Like, they could have a very profound good reason to want this. Yeah. You know, specific lived trauma and experience. Or it could be objectifying, like you said, and about, like, yeah. pissing on the person. Yeah. Like, you know. Not that anyone thinks that they're doing that. Right. But, no. but, but they But they'll come are. out in the language. <laughs> they'll come out in the language. Well, right. I just want people to, you know, to know that, that you're with me. Right. Yeah. The claiming. Okay. Yeah. The, the claiming kind of behavior. Yeah. And there is that. Yeah. That's the, that's. For sure. You know, I, I think that's why all three of us are on here. So you can provide the negative. <laughs> that is my job. My job is to be super, super paranoid about underlying subconscious structural biases. And Sarah and I are the positive ones. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, no, Michael, life is good. Right. No, really. It's yeah. just about validation. Um. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think your advice is going to help way more people than my advice because I think people who are listening to this podcast are already in the realm of people who are much less likely to be doing the other thing. But there are there are other people. Yeah, there's it's yeah. A, you you bring up a very valid point. And that's that happens in polyamory as much as it happens in monogamy. Right. That that claiming that being pissed on 
yeah you know sense oh, that yeah. even in the the hierarchical claim like i want to be the primary so i need to be yeah. in your profile picture and i mm-hmm. i'm your primary so i don't want your secondary in your profile picture because yeah. then people think they're your primary and you sure. know which is you know to me personally <laughs> one of the huge problems in hierarchy and one of the yeah. reasons that i do not participate in that mm-hmm. so right. but yeah there i mean there's you have a very valid point to point out the negative because it's it happens and it happens a lot mm-hmm. yeah and i think that is going to be our time for sure so <laughs> okay. I think that was a good, you know, end summary in the both perspectives. So I'm pretty happy. Does anyone else have any uh, sort of details they just gotta add that we didn't hit? I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. No. Right. You know, I have all this great stuff for signing on. I mean, not great, but I have a sense of what I do when I'm signing on. I have a sense of what I do in the middle, and I never know how to sign off. Turn it around <laughs> at the end and say, "All right, we're done." <laughs> hate writing I, I guess i guess thanks is a good one well uh, so thanks to both of you for being here again and putting up with my negativity <laughs> pessimism yes we appreciate yes, your yes. balance uh-huh <laughs> yes it's, it's good and that's why we do this is so that we could get uh, different perspectives and learn new things and absolutely all right see everybody next time bye, bye. thanks listeners